So good. Yes, I know. So good. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Welcome back to yet another episode of East Screen, West Screen. It is Tuesday, March 15th, 2011. This is episode 59, and as usual, I am your host, Paul Fox, and joining me from some secret location in the Fragrant Harbor is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hi, everybody. Hi, Paul. Also, we're very fortunate with us to have with us this week uh, another podcaster, um, from quite a distance from Hong Kong, uh, somewhere in Sweden, if I have that uh, location correct, Mr. Kenneth uh, Broerson, if I'm saying that pr- properly, of So Good Reviews and Podcast on Fire. Uh, Ken, welcome. Thanks very much. Hello, everybody. Thanks for having me on. Um, so, Ken, we're, we're happy to uh, have you here today, and we're looking forward to plugging and picking your brain on cinema and podcasting and uh, lots of other stuff. Ace, thanks. But before we do that, uh, let's get into a little bit of news. All right. um, So we've got news this week. Uh, There's a lot going on in the cinema industry and whatnot, but we've decided to push that aside to really talk about uh, the tragic events that happened over the weekend for Japan um, I don't want to spend a lot of time dwelling on it. It's all over the news. Um, if you've been in Asia, you've you know you're watching it from the get-go as these events were going on. It's a really really sad day for Japan, and uh, you know the, the, you've seen a lot of people coming out on social media networks and things and showing support for Japan. And you know, I just want to say this, uh, you know, it's great to go out and, and see people saying things like pray for Japan and and we support Japan and everything. But I really hope people will get out there and just not just say it, but actually do it. Um, you know, obviously, we don't have the means to go and travel to Japan and, and give volunteer support. But if you're thinking about going and buying, you know, a Blu-ray this week or a DVD or you know, watching a movie, maybe set some of that aside and, you know, donate to the Red Cross or some other organization of merit um, that's going to be working on this issue. Um, I've seen that a number of podcasting sites have already sort of uh, jumped on board and have links up. We have a link on our site, and there's a link over on uh, our friend Kozo's site on lovehkfilm.com. And I believe over at the Podcast on Fire site, you guys are doing... Um, uh, sort of a, a a joint thing with um, the V Cinema guys. Is that correct? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, they choose a very, I don't know if it's correct way to say suitable organization to donate to the Japan Society, I believe. And it seemed like a good gathering point for for a few of us to to donate to them and you know uh, whatever you can do. 
yeah. basically. I mean, we 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 could have easily settled on so to say a red cross, and uh, but it seemed like a good way for a few of us to gather up whatever resources we can gather up and and do our best to contribute. And we're we're also eventually in in a week or two, I hope it's up, doing a benefit podcast about podcast on fire free hour podcast that people who want to listen to it they can basically don't donate to the japan society or global giving and email us their don't uh, donation receipts essentially and and uh, they'll get a link uh, to the show we, we are not accepting ourselves donations uh, through podcast on fire we would rather we would rather global giving and japan society for instance be be the recipient of the dona- donations it's, it's really dumb to be super strict yeah. when it comes to these things. So yeah. uh, we're doing that hopefully in, in a week or two and uh, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be good content for a good cause. Yeah, that, that definitely a worthy cause. And um, unfortunately, you know, I, I, I'm very moved by the rapid response and seeing, you know, various podcasts and people doing what they can to try and set up these channels. At the same time, um, I've also come across some really just um, I, for lack of a better word, um, douchebaggery in, in terms of some of the comments and some of the things that people have been talking about. Um, you know, uh, I was listening to another podcast and they were talking about some people on Twitter saying, oh, this is karma for Japan and things that happened in World War II. And um, I know that, uh, Kevin, you were talking about on some of the Chinese, is it is it Webio, some of the Chinese um, services that are like Twitter um, you know, there's a lot of nationalism and, and rhetoric going on there as well. Is that correct? Um, there, there's a you know, there's always a, a loud minority. Uh, there's a few of those uh, anonymous netizens. You know, they happen to be anonymous. Uh, you know, talking about how how you know the Chinese, how the Japanese invaded China, and and how they're being you know uh, punished for their crimes, and how Chinese people shouldn't donate to Japan and things like that. But of course, at the same time, you have a lot of um, the more vocal, the bigger, you know, celebrities uh, and known figures who are, you know, more of the the peaceful side, who who are actually mourning this tragedy and and want people to support Japan at the time of need. And you know, just to be fair, you know, Japan actually also sent their help to to China when they had their big quake in Sichuan. So it's only fair, you know, it's it's in in the face of disaster, there is no such thing as nationalism for me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think that I think that's a good message. And you had mentioned before this, you know, striking a little bit close to home for you. You have a number of friends in Japan, and you had mentioned on Twitter that one of your friends was actually the focus of uh, the Today Show um, in sort of searching for their family. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, I mean, what it's been kind of an emotional weekend for me. Uh, Japan is like my third home. Um, I have a lot, a few friends there, and I also spend a considerable amount of time there. Uh, and, um, you know, I talked to a few, I mean, most of my friends, they're in the Tokyo area uh, and not close to the Northeast area, and they've been all right. Uh, a lot of them checked in. Uh, I'm really happy they're doing well. And suddenly yesterday, I found out that um, an old friend from college uh, was actually in one of the towns that were hit by the tsunami um, that day. And in fact, one of the videos that you see on the news was actually uh, taken by her friend who, who was there with her. Uh, turns out... Um, some her sister sent a tweet to well this host on the Today Show, this uh, a morning show on NBC, which is one of the biggest networks in America, um, and the reporter um, went to the town and and found her, and uh, she had her so to speak five minutes of fame on TV. Um, 
thankfully she was found alive. She was doing well. She's she says she's gonna stick around and help all she can. Um, and yeah, I'm just really I was really shocked to see my actually someone I know in that area, and I'm really really glad she's doing well. Yeah, um, I think it, one of the things that's starting to come out now is you know the the, the a lot of the tragedy of this is starting to hit home numbers are starting to increase the, the problem with the nuclear plants and there was something going on with wasn't it you and um a, a, a friend of ours who's in the movie group were tweeting about a certain actor who had made some really ridiculous comments about the radiation or something well there was that big host that was uh spreading around uh, about how the bbc reported that the radiation was starting to travel um outside of Japan, and, and it arrived in the Philippines conveniently, I guess, at, at 4 p.m. today. And um, apparently passed to a lot of people. Uh, well, a big high-level um, executive, whatever you call it, at a college closed down the campus without confirming the news, uh, freaked out. And uh, this, this, this boy band member, who I will not name here, um, apparently took it seriously and tweeted about naming any sources. And just started freaking everybody out, uh, telling people that radiation's out. It's gonna get there for, and it just you know it's bullcrap. You don't you don't you gotta follow the right organizations. You gotta follow the big one. You gotta know what you're get what kind of information you're getting. You can't just be picking up any bits of garbage and then and then scaring people with this, uh, especially at this at this really chaotic time. Yeah, um, it's for me. I think the. The, the, the powerful images that are coming out now, you know, some of the pictures of the devastation and just some of the footage that people captured on their various devices of the, the water coming in. Um, there was a link over on Gizmodo. I think I think it was it was through Twitter and I, I forwarded it, but um, it was just it was like within six minutes, this town, the, 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 this cameraman was um, basically starting at street level. And moving backwards up this hill that I guess was in in part of this town, where a bunch of people, you know, it was the highest point they could get to, and within six minutes the waters had just risen so much it pushed all the cars out of the parking lot away, and it had uprooted store buildings and houses, and it was literally they were like sailing down the street. It was just, it was really surreal. I mean, we look at a movie like, uh, you know, disaster movies or something like Twenty Twelve, and we think, oh, you know. That's some crazy special effects, but then when you see something like that, it's 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 really kind of striking and shocking that that much damage can really happen so very quickly, and there's just nothing you can do about it, you know. And I always thought, oh, you know, if you know there's a tornado or or a big wave or something coming, this would be a safe place. And then I'm looking as this guy shooting uh, this video and thinking, oh, that safe place suddenly is gone. You know, I'd I'd be done in that situation. So. I think we also have to appreciate, actually, on the other hand, how how many lives have been saved because, I mean, Japan is one of the most earthquake-prone countries in the world. I, I felt a few. Or I, was, I was there. And they really trained their people to, to be aware of earthquake safety from literally their birth, from school. And, and, and the uh, building codes are strict. They have to be all earthquake-proof. And, um, you know, I literally saw videos of uh, buildings shaking, like swaying in Tokyo, and none of them came down. And there's been very, very little damage outside of the, of course, tsunami hit areas. And I think we all, we also have to recognize how well Japan has done considering this situation. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Um, I, I perished the thought 
that something like that would ever happen here, but I doubt many of the Hong Kong building codes would fare so well. All right, um, just to reiterate, uh, I, I don't want to dwell too much on this topic. Um, it, it is a tragedy, and it's still unfolding, and um, our wishes and prayers do go with Japan, but um, hopefully, if you're hearing this, you also have the means to take up some action, you know, even if it's even if it's a small amount, even if it's only $10 that you're planning to use to go watch a movie. Um, you know, every little bit would help because there are people who literally don't have any access to food and water and, water and clothing, um, and that, you know, who knows how long that'll last. Um, so do, you know, go to any of these links um, that, you know, are on our sites or on, uh, you know, uh, love, lovehkfilm.com or any of the other sites, or just go directly to Red Cross, um, redcross.org, and uh, do what you can because, you know, it is important that at times like this we we put all this nonsense aside and, and just try and help humanity. Um, I also want to put out a call because um, a few days previous to, to the Japan earthquake, uh, Yunnan in China also experienced uh, a 5.6 magnitude earthquake and um, some some people have died and uh, also they also are in need of help. So um, don't just... I know Japan is a great, is a really, really grave situation, and it's. I know it's because of all the attention to tsunami and the 9.0 and all that stuff. But there are also people in helping China as well, and I would encourage uh, everyone to also give a bit of the thoughts to um, uh, those also suffering from similar tragedies around the world. Yeah, and I mean it was just like a week or so ago that they had that one in uh, New Zealand too. Yes, yes. And you so, know the whole world is uh, rocking and rolling. All right, uh, let's move on and talk about other things, uh, things of a lighter note. Um, so we've got our guest with us, Ken. Um, time to pick your brain, sir. Uh, I'd like to ask you a little bit about, you know, how, because you're in Sweden, right? You know, mm-hmm. we, we normally don't associate uh, Sweden, you know, because of the cultural proximity of, as, you know, being a place with uh, a huge base of fandom for Hong Kong cinema and Asian cinema. So, you know, how did you, where, where, how did you get your background? Um, when did you first find your love and affinity for Asian cinema or Hong Kong cinema? Well, first I gotta say the fan base is still very small. I think, I think Japanese and Korean movies, when they started to break a little bit more, especially Korean movies, that got into the video market here, but not necessarily to establish a, uh, a fan base. So they, we have we have some. We we have Korea. We have we have some Hong Kong. But there, there was never any, you know, uh, uh, not any tapes being passed around to uh, between me and my friends. We we were young, uh, mainly American movies. So it was really a miracle that I got introduced to Hong Kong cinema. And and, and I got a single out. Uh, there's a movie critic called uh, Gunnar Relin who did a movie show many years ago, a weekly movie show, and his column in one of the evening newspapers i just happened to to catch that when i was about 14 15 and he mentioned that on this movie channel local movie channel right now the movies of john woo are playing and you gotta see these and he didn't elaborate that much on it it just sounded quite interesting action movies a movie channel i have access to let's go watch that and Man, was I blown away and destroyed essentially because the choices that I had uh, that I had on that movie channel were Bullet in the Head, The Killer, Once a Thief, and Hard Boiled. Hmm. 
And the very first one was a bullet in the head that to this date remains like my favorite or top three Hong Kong movie ever because it literally floored and destroyed me emotionally. Because as you know, it's a very tough, dramatic film to take, but it also is in an incredible action film that I've never, ever seen before. And especially the way emotions could, do, could be mixed up with this kind of exaggerated action, even though Bullet in the Head partly is, you know, you don't have any anyone sliding down staircase, stair rails, if you will. But, but you know, it is a big action movie. And, and on that path I went, uh, basically exploring heroic bloodshed of the 80s and 90s, but not via means here in Sweden. I mean, I had the movie channel for a little bit, but then I had to import tapes from the UK mainly. There was this label called Made in Hong Kong, which uh, provided me with an introduction to heroic bloodshed movies, but also a few different genres, like the fantasy genre, if you will. If you will. They uh, released Savior of the Soul and uh, a few of the um, a few of the uh, first Prison of Fire movie and the likes, and a few Kung Fu movies, uh, Sam Hung and uh, stuff, Warriors 2. So, so I got this slightly varied introduction, and, but, but for the first few years, I stuck with Heroic Bloodshed. I wanted any movie where they shot the gun, mm. and <laughs> I didn't think I would grow out of that. Eventually, I did, and now I watch basically any genre, mm. I don't know, Hong Kong cinema and Taiwan and whatever. Now, when you first encountered these, they were um, on TV. Were they censored or were they dubbed or was it sort of the original format? How did they show in Sweden? Uh, in this, it, it, it has varied. Uh, they have shown them English dubbed, and uh, but, but mostly uncut and, su- and original language subtitled. Uh, we, we, we do have a culture of, if you will, of uh, dubbing movies, but uh, mainly... Uh, movies for for children and young adults, if you will, uh, animated and basically the Harry Potter movies, if you will, because it's it's a commercial decision. But uh, these were shown original language. Uh, although I do remember very silly detail about Bullet in the Head. At times, underneath the Cantonese track, for some reason, you could hear the English dub, <laughs> which was very strange. I could hear underneath the boardroom uh, confrontation scene between uh, Tony Leung and Wisely. You could hear. English dub, which was very, I can hear him say Frank. <laughs> so, but, 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 but I was fortunate to, to see them in the original form. And, and uncut, although I heard afterwards, after these television showings, the censor board in Sweden banned the movies, and that included the television showings. So they were probably not on that frequent. Uh, I relied on my initial uh, recordings of them. But um, that's a past history in terms of uh, the Swedish uh, censorship board because they, it's now not doing any any cutting or censoring whatsoever officially. They haven't done for a number of years, but fairly recently they said that we're only putting you know ratings on everything, but we're not uh, going to cut anything. Mm. If they are going to adhere to that, I don't know because we are getting a release of the very uh, notorious. Uh, uh, a Serbian film, if anyone has uh, ah. ever heard of that. And if that passes uncut, good, because I would like to see the movie as intended, but that would be a challenge mm. for a board that's only supposed to put a rating on something. So so, so we'll see. That, that movie has uh, been uh, uh, handed in to, to the police on several occasions in different countries. So mm, we'll see yeah. what happens here. 
Um, so how, how do you get your stuff now? I mean, obviously, you the internet has opened up a lot more in terms of international sales, but has there been a bigger presence of these films available at like local shops in Sweden, or is it still pretty sparse? It's very sparse, even if you lived in a big town, which I do not. Uh, so for, for a number of years, I actually didn't watch any Hong Kong movies between, let's say, 97 or, and 2001. I started watching this, these movies in, let's say, 94, 95. So only through DVD and VCD, uh, I got a chance to reacquaint myself with a lot of movies and also discover a lot of movies because all of a sudden I no- noticed that these are these movies are one available to a very very low price a 40 hong kong dollar tag on on your universe movie your mayar movie movies and that was just heaven you can just buy in in bulk and try out stuff and and that's still true to an extent uh which is why uh which is why i do watch so many so much varied stuff i i just like the feeling of why why not you know, for for forty Hong Kong dollars or or a ten Hong Kong dollar VCD, why not? So have you uh, so, have you managed to get over here at all yet? Uh, not yet. I mean, it's uh, I don't travel that much. I'm <laughs> for <laughs> we we won't get into that. But uh, uh, but but I do have an urge to go over to Hong Kong now that I have a few more, let's say, contacts. I I know over the internet a few more a few more people. So so. So that way I can get some recommendation in, in terms of where to stay and where to go and all of that. And and it, it has grown over the last uh, two years or so, we urge to get a feeling of what the atmosphere is like in real life compared to the atmosphere you see in movies, especially set in, you know, the tight, cramped city. It seems yeah. very tight and cramped. <laughs> and and the, uh, I don't know, I think that would be special to me because I've seen it on a screen for so long. So um, who knows? Uh, I, I have no timetable on that, but who knows? It might happen soon or, or in a few years' time. It's... Yeah, well, when it does, look us up. We'll take you to the, to the dynasty. <laughs> <laughs> That's really the, spacious, the most spacious place I know in Hong Kong. Yeah. Yeah, the oh, very good. I'm a tall, tall bastard too, so that. <laughs> so you sort of nourished your love of Hong Kong cinema, and that's led to you know other things. And ultimately... You started doing what? What came first, blogging or podcasting, or was it a combination of both? Uh, it, it was the writing that came first on my site, SoGoodReviews.com, and, and it's one of those magical moments that you only appreciate afterwards. Uh, I just felt like writing what I thought of a movie, and, and it, it was just—I was just drawn to a keyboard, if you will. Uh, I even remember the the movie. Uh, out of all things, it was an old Andy Lau heroic bloodshed movie. I think it's called Return Engagement, mm. and I just wanted to get some paragraphs on paper, so to say. And and eventually, it felt like, well, why not share this with the world? And on that on that path, I, I went. And uh, at the beginning, I reviewed pretty much everything, but now I've established sort of an, I wouldn't say identity, but a, a focus in terms of. The writing where I watch mostly category free exploitation and those kind of things in general because I, I think that's where I have the most fun in terms of writing uh, rather than focusing on latest Johnny To movie, the latest Wong Jing movie. Other people do that better. Mm. <laughs> and uh, you really, 
there are too many movies to focus on in Hong Kong cinema as well. You know, uh, after a while you need to narrow it down and and uh, choose what your focus is and what your identity is. If you're looking for an identity online, and, and only last year I think I found one. Mm. So uh, so it's taken a while. Well, I mean, because you primarily do your reviews um, in English, were you setting out to reach an international market? Has there been any any writing um, in Swedish at all? I actually did just at the beginning. I, I wrote my reviews in Swedish and translated them, but after a while I just felt more comfortable expressing myself in English when it came to the movies because I... I, I I, I know certain expressions a lot more. I, I essentially know expressions uh, better in English when it comes to speaking about movies rather than in Swedish. So, uh, and it worked writing in English right away. Uh, I, I, I didn't know that at the time that it actually would work if it would come out in a coherent way. But now it's uh, it does feel natural. I I don't consider myself great in any way, but uh, you know you know that I. I I do all right in my eyes, and whatever, and whatever people you reach after that, then, then that's a great bonus. So you continue the blogging now with your site, SoGoodReviews.com, and you've now moved into this thing we call podcasting. Um, how did you how did you get started with that? How did you hook up with your um, your co-host uh, Stu? Well, it was his idea originally to start a podcast uh, at all. We didn't have the podcast on fire name at that point. So I think him and I met, so to say, over at the, now it's called fiesfilms.com, but it was then called Dragon's Den UK. And we uh, we met on the forum there and he threw out a suggestion that I would like to do a podcast. I feel that's an area we can do something with, even if it's just a shit chat show, if you will. And uh, he did one by himself first, and I came on as guest on the second episode. And, uh, and essentially, a few episodes later, became the co-host. And it was never an elaborate plan beforehand in terms of uh, what the show should be. And we definitely didn't know that it was going to be what it is now. It was, I thought it was a cool opportunity to finally talk of these movies with someone, because to, to be honest, not all of my friends are into this kind of stuff. And, uh, and it's a hard sell, these kind of movies, too. It's not easy to just show someone a very violent action movie, a very broad comedy, and a very, very naughty Category 3 movie. You don't just show that to anyone, which is understandable. But uh, it, it was it was something, I think, in the back of my mind, I thought like, it would be cool to talk with someone sometime about this. So someone like-minded. And, and, and the podcast turned out to be that, which is kind of cool, and now has developed into something uh, something that uh, is almost akin to full-time work, even though I nor much of the podcasters out there get any pay for this. But uh, it, it certainly has changed through, since 2007, and uh, and uh, here we are having we have a network now. Even that sounds a bit pretentious, if you will, but but we do have a podcast on via network uh, in a way. Yeah, and so you've kind of expanded out to different shows or different genres that you focus on with your podcast. Is that is that an accurate way of describing it? It it, it was that intention in a way because we we just 
discussed off air one time after the show that wouldn't be wouldn't it be cool if we tried to expand our horizons a little bit because we pr- primarily stuck with Hong Kong cinema, your your Jack Chan discussion or Summer Hung discussion and and they started discussing like let's just watch some let's say Japanese movies of some genres we don't necessarily explore all the time so we so we did a few shows on on anime on samurai movies and and eventually when we reached monster movies with kaiju genre i it, it was akin to someone just lighting a dynamite behind me and i jumped in there this is for me this is a love that was there but certainly got ignited by the thought of talking of monster movies your godzilla movies your gamera movies and that particular japan of fire as the show is called got got to be very extensive the the kaiju specials so and then it just expanded from there. We we tried out doing a commentary, and now we have two additional shows on Korean cinema and one on Category Three. And I realized after a while, when we had three shows and was planning on doing a fourth, uh, that we have shows now. We can I think we can call ourselves a network. I think we can show show ourselves to be to have different choices when people reach the website and so so it was never a plan but it just turned out to be that based on the way our working habits and the way we did shows so, so all of a sudden we we have five and we might have more so what so, do you what do you think about yeah. um in in terms of um Getting your presence out there. Have you have you been have you guys been contacted by film festivals or have you given thought to you know approaching um, people in the industry to do interviews with them or what? I mean, what what's what's the next coming thing for you guys? Well, well, to answer your question, no, we haven't really been approached by much festivals. Uh, we we did do coverage or Stu did of the last year's uh, 2010 Terracotta Forest film festival i think it's called that's uh it's located in london and he went down from scotland where he lives to london for three or four days to cover the festival and watch the likes of little big soldier and cow and different uh, documentaries so 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 we got into that and but but i think we, we haven't really been active in term in terms of getting into festival because both me and Stu don't necessarily live near one and i i know that might sound like a poor excuse to not travel but 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 i think the likes of the cinema and certainly you guys you 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 seem anyway to have access to a lot more festivals and there are a lot more festivals happening all around you so maybe that's a step sometime but currently i think we we are not active in terms of contacting people in the industry but we, we are more active in terms of getting good content on the site when we do specials of any kind. I mean, we, 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 we'd like to do a good job when talking about a specific Korean movie for one episode and try to get a guest from the web community on that, uh, from from the likes of, you know, Midnight Eye. We got uh, Rufus from V Cinema on for a show. So, I mean, that I guess that's a start in a way to, you know, we feel brave enough to contact these people. Why not, you know, go go all the way and try to get interviews, score interviews, uh, which we have a little bit in the past. But we, we talked, for instance, with uh, Ivy Ho when she was over in, in the UK uh, uh, for a uh, festival covering uh, movies done by uh, done by women. I think it was called Visible Secrets. 
So there's been that, but it's not a conscious plan right now. We, we, we do have many things planned, but not part of that is not contacting uh, the movie industry for interviews. Uh, but but we, all, we're, we are always working, and I'm sure we'll get to that point sometime. So have you and Stu ever actually met? Not yet, no. I'll, it's always strange when you do these kind of things over Skype and constantly and know each other for three years. That doesn't necessarily mean that there will be a meetup you know, super fast, one year in or three years in. But we have talked about a meetup between him and me, but also some of the people in the for, on the forums. But it would take some organizing because everyone needs to come from not all over the place, but you know, it involves traveling. I mean, me, me, I'm probably the far, farthest away uh, compared to the forum uh, forum uh, friends we do have. But uh, it'll happen eventually. I mean, I'm 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 not one that gets stressed out about these things. That <laughs> it's strange that we haven't met despite being co-hosts. Mm. But uh, yeah. I'm sure it's okay. Happen. I've never actually met Paul before. It was still okay. Yeah, and you're you're lucky for that. <laughs> <laughs> um. No, but I mean, it. I could I, with what you guys are building and and the network and the contacts and the types of shows you're doing. It's it's really I think expanding your your base quite considerably. Um, you know, it it doesn't seem to me that it's inconceivable that you guys might actually do a small mini festival of your own one day and you know get people to come over and you know to some centralized location watch some movies, just do an episode or something like that. Um, I mean that would be kind of cool. We 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 kind of did that yet not. Our co-host Mike Banner, who now lives in Korea and can't co-host as much, he's uh, teaching in Korea actually. Uh, he before the podcast he arranged a movie festival on his own, a one-day event uh, where he lives in England and showed the likes of Drunken Master Two, an original language version of that, an original widescreen print of Mystery of Chess Boxing, the old uh, Joseph Quo movie, mm. with Ghostface Killer and all that uh, as, a, as a villain. We, we all know culturally uh, that that movie has uh, affected uh, the Wu-Tang Clan, if you will. Mm. Uh, so, so we did that, and, and that was doable, certainly. So, and that was without any, any credit to his name, if you will. He just was a guy who wanted to arrange a film festival and see see if it could be done, which is very admirable. Hmm. Well, what are your thoughts now on the state of, you know, this is something we, a question we constantly return to, the state of uh, Hong Kong cinema today, um, being that you were, you, you were basically initiated with a uh, bullet in the head. And, I, you know, I'm thinking about that. Uh, I can understand how you say, in not having friends that you can, that you can really relate these movies to or share these movies with. I mean, I, I was in the States and I had to move to Hong Kong basically to find people <laughs> to talk to about this. Um, but yeah, bullet in the head. I, if I was going to introduce Hong Kong cinema to anybody, that would probably be my last choice. <laughs> um, so, but having that is sort of an initiation and then getting into John Woo and then, you know, Andy Lau and, and other people later and moving into different genres. And looking at, I mean, cinema now, I'm not sure. I mean, how, how do you get a lot of current stuff now or do you still stay mo mostly focused on, you know, the previous decades? I, I think I do focus on the previous decades, not because of a dislike for the current stuff, because 
prior I did try and keep up with with the current stuff since I did review them, any any Johnny Toe movie that came out, any Herman Yao movie that came out, for instance. But now that I've shift, shifted focus, it kind of is hard to me for me to keep up with everything and 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 buy everything that's coming out. But it's not again because of a dislike of the current state. I I'm I'm not very <laughs> good at talking about the current state of Hong Kong cinema because I don't feel I'm as knowledgeable anymore of what goes on. But I I'm not one of those cynics that say Hong Kong cinema is dead and Jackie Chan and Sammo Hung are past their prime. That kind of naive view. I mean, people forget that people grow older and trends change. But that's another story. Uh, so. That's why I like your podcast a whole lot because you can bring that perspective to my ears anyway. You 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 are kind of tapped in, it seems, to what is going on. You review the movies coming out in cinema for 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 better or worse, you know. <laughs> the men suddenly in love uh, experience as uh, as you'll talk about then. But but you know, w- whatever new stuff is coming out, I, I can get my knowledge and fix I think the uh, the likes of you and try and keep up with it that way even though I can't find time to watch all the movies that's coming out. So, so I mean, it's uh, focusing on what I do with the Category 3 stuff from, from the 90s mainly. It, uh, it means that I don't have time to watch everything, mm. essentially. But, uh, you know, one day when I take like a month break, maybe, from all this, then, then I'll just have a big old festival by myself and just catch up with, I don't know, four years worth worth of uh, movies from uh, from Hong Kong. And, mm. uh, yeah, that's that's kind of like me. I I much prefer the individual film festival rather than these uh, yeah. con- conglomerations like uh, Kevin's going to be attending uh, next week, right? Yep. No, yeah. it starts on Sunday. Sunday. Actually. Oh, good grief. Yes. Um, but what is your what is your preferable format? I mean, are you up with Blu-rays now, and do you um, are you are you an advocate of like the latest and greatest in terms of resolution and and widescreen and that stuff? Or are you still okay with um, you know VCDs and uh, DVDs? I I am to to an extent. I mean, I like when a when a Blu-ray presents a movie well, which is which is not always the case. Uh, it seems to be a challenge for companies to present movies well, but I. I have, I watch loads of tape to DVD rips, if you will, loads of VCDs, loads of laser discs, because they, uh, I've never. It's not unwatchable to me. It's not like I have to struggle to to make it out on my big TV now. What is going on? I I always thought that a mo- if a movie has power, it that can, you know, roll easily past. So, so to say, shortcomings of a format, even if it's uh, you know, even if it's not widescreen, even I think uh, the power of movie can come through. So I, I, I go in in every direction, if you will. Uh, uh, Blue rays, I, I've embraced, but I'm, I'm a bit more, I'm a bit hesitant in terms of picking them up, you know, as a blind buy because I realized you kind of need to do your research to make sure you're essentially not getting a DVD. With uh, on a Blu-ray, essentially. Yeah, which is uh, basically most Hong Kong Blu-rays. <laughs> yeah, but it's very beautiful when done right. And I have to praise the likes of Maya has released a few proper, you know, high high definition transfers of old movies that aren't going to blow anyone away. But it's done as a proper way. You know, they are utilizing the format. They are not ripping you off just because you know a blue stripe is not automatic 
automatic win. If you will. Yeah, that's true. Um, all right, so let me let me just throw this last question at you, and then we'll move on to some other stuff. Um, if you were to meet somebody and were going to recommend an entry point to Hong Kong cinema, uh, what would be your recommendation? For me, I'd probably choose the likes of The Killer or Hard Boiled because it was my introduction, and I think I think they stand out in terms of they they are not similar to many movies people know of then and now. They are pretty special in their own right, and they they are make or break movies too for Hong Kong cinema fans. Looking at The Killer, it's a very melodramatic movie. And uh, but a very cool action movie as well. Uh, so the killer hard boiled. But as you said, bullet in the head. It was my first experience. I wouldn't show it to a first time viewer either because it's a long movie and it's a very emotionally draining movie as well. So it could could put people off for life in terms of movies. You know. Yeah, definitely. It's not very kind. But but I remember <laughs> recommending it to a friend, uh, show, show showing him it, and he was as blown away uh, as as I was and uh, rewatched it the same evening and all that. So. You never, you never know. But uh, during these times, at the times where we're on, we are now with tragedy all around us, I'll, I'll probably choose something, so to say, lighter and more, 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 you know, a movie that is in it for the entertainment, essentially. And uh, mm. The Killer or Hard Boiled, I think, is a good choice. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. All right, so we got one film for East, East Screen this week. That is the latest film from Wong Jing called Men Suddenly in Love. Um, so... Before I I get all angry and <laughs> eviscerate this film, um, Kevin, why don't you tell us a little bit about what it is? Wow. Um, Men Suddenly in Love is the uh, latest uh, film, uh, and, I, and I use this quote mark, uh, film by, by Wan Jing, the uh, schlockmaster of Hong Kong. Um, this is another one of his entries into his kind of uh, one of those men chasing girls series um, that that goes all the way back to the 80s. Um, and this time he's not only is he in the movie, is, uh, he's also joined by Eric Jung, kind of an old partner in crime, I suppose, uh, with Jim Chim, uh, the always overacting stage actor. Um also, Chapman Toe and um, a really young uh, kind of pop star actor, Tats Yao. Uh, team of five. Uh, is that four? Uh, they, it's a very simple story. It's, uh, it's told in three parts, and it's about these four guys who um, reunite to uh, take their teacher, uh, Mr. Ju, played by Richard Ng, uh, kind of a surprise cameo i suppose um for his 80th birthday uh into china because you know if if you want to look for a woman and, and screw around you always go to china um and while there they, they meet a bunch of uh lambos i guess uh young models um which is interesting and, because a lot of them are from hong kong 
So, yes. So yes. they go to China to screw around and they find girls from Hong Kong. Yes, and and the place. Oh yeah, the girls had no idea and no trouble going back to Hong Kong as well. Um, and the place looks exactly like like a, a seaside resort in Hong Kong. But anyway, so they're there and they they somehow hook up, quote unquote. Um, and then they spend the rest of the movie, uh, or the second third of the movie, um, uh, doing their thing with their individual respective girls. And then they spend the third, the third part of the movie getting caught. It's very, very simple structure. Um, this is what I would call a Wong Jing's version of a direct-to-video movie because uh, I remember I interviewed Wong Jing <laughs> once. Um, yes, it's serious. Because actually, I, I interviewed Wong Jing once and seriously, one of the greatest honors of my life, you know, except for the fact that I hate his movies these days. Um, and he's, <laughs> he says that uh, essentially, if he's not making movies for the mainland, he has to make these really low-budget films because the local movie channels want them, uh, and that's how he gets income. He doesn't ma- he doesn't care about theatrical growth for these movies. He makes these movies for the movie channels because they'll pay enough for content. They don't care about um, the quality. So this really low-budget shot on digital um, movie that he I'm pretty sure he didn't direct himself because. Um, he put a, actually a quite respectable young director named Lee Kong Lok, who last directed My Ex-Wife's Wedding, who co- co-directed um, co-directed uh, Fubo with uh, Wang Jing Po, who uh, directed um, another commercial film. No, actually, no. Andy Lau, produ- Andy Lau produced uh, My Wife's a Belly Dancer, a perfectly respectable solo director, and his name is Associate Director. So I'm pretty sure he directed at least half the film. Anyway, so he um, it's really low-budget, Sean Digital, um, really cheap sets. It looks like they're shooting at the actors' houses. Uh, so really, you know, no need to pay for art direction because they're all there already. Um, and and it's it's just kind of really disposable, except for the fact that it's so crappy that you wanna you wanna step on it a few times before disposing of it. <laughs> um, it. It's it was really strange, clear. It's really strange script structure. It is so clear. The three act structure is almost like. Wang Jing went to script writing school for, for six weeks and then came out and, hey, I got to write a movie with three acts. And then he put put this really lazy, thin plot together and, and split it by three parts. Um, the old chasing girl formula is is pretty old. Um, you, you've you seen it. If you've seen one Wang Jing movie with this kind of formula, you've seen them all and it's the same here. Um, but the problem is at one scene, uh, one of the characters is actually watching um, girls are easy. The eighties, uh, and and keep and keep on laughing about how funny those movies were. You know, it, don't remind people that you once made movies like that that were good, at a movie with this formula that is bad. That's a very bad idea. It just it just brings up a comparison, uh, and it just makes your movie looks really cheap, and it doesn't really make much sense. Um, there were a few really funny parodies. Um, I saw Echoes of the Rainbow one was really good. Uh, Lust Caution. All of them start off really well before before Wanjing kind of went crazy and wouldn't stop. And then it just it just fell flat. Um, and they, they all went wasted because this movie was so bad. Um, it was so bad that in the Dynasty, even in the Dynasty, I would never take out my phone and just start doing whatever the hell I want, you know, like, like people would do at really nice theaters in Hong Kong. In the middle of the movie, I just got so mad. I took it out and I started tweeting because it was so tasteless. <laughs> it was so bad. And one scene, someone, one of the girls took on Bruce Lee's spirit and asked Chapman Toad to rape her. That, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. It, it was just so, it, was, it went beyond like launching tastelessness and it was just stupid tastelessness. And that's really the worst 
type of tastelessness. It, w- it was almost like Wong Jing's uh, private midlife crisis fantasy movie, and except you know it's not funny, <laughs> and, and 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 he wants to make it category two B. You know, if it was aware of how sleazy it was, you know, you have you would have you know a trashy exploitation movie girls flashing their their boobs every other five minutes, and it would be fun because it, it's just so over the top. But because watching is making this direct to video movie. It, uh, that we're paying to watch in a 900 seat theater, it it it's just kind of it feels like uh it's like watching is getting old. It's and and it's just no fun to watch because you know he's holding back. Um, and worst of all, the ending because he's worked with Patrick Con lately, the the young king of uh uh young love romance trashy melodramas. It's at the end, it's like watching copying Patrick Kong copying Pang Ho Chun. The, the twists are stupid and they don't make much sense and it doesn't really say anything. It has dubious moral consequences and I, I love dubious moral consequences, just not as <laughs> when presented this way. Um, oh, so so you want to go with the rating. Um, uh, buy, buy a VCD, dub it onto a, a VHS and then step <laughs> over the, the tape and then you can maybe play it while you're on your iPhone and then maybe it'll be tolerable. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that looks arty all of a sudden. That's a new format <laughs> we, we must have. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I think Pang Ho Chung is rolling in his grave. <laughs> but wait, oh, he's not there yet, but he will be one day. And when he does, he'll remember this movie and start rolling in his grave. Because but that's okay, he's in China, so might as well. Might yeah, just... this is, I mean, based on the uh, English title, it's really trying to riff on Men Suddenly in Black. Um part one and a little bit of part two, but primarily part one. And you've got Eric Zhang here as one of the leads. And it's just a travesty. Um, Like you said, the chasing girls idea is fine, but this is going beyond that because like men suddenly in black, it's, it's also the cheating on wives kind of idea that, you know, it's um, we're going to all sneak off and say, we've got this one thing and actually we're just going to fool around. Um, and they do a lot of rationalization of all this. They, you know, it's uh, their their characters saying, "Oh, you know, it's in men's nature to cheat. You just can't let them, you know, get away with it that easily." And some of the things that the wives do um, as sort of like enabling mechanisms are just a bit nonsensical. Um, but it is really just male fantasy. The, 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 I think the insulting part is that it's really unbelievable that any of these models would be so aggressive. Because the girls end up, like, really chasing these guys, these old, you know, past middle-aged men. Um, and, you know, okay, so one's a doctor, and, you know, Jim Chim's character is a famous actor. Maybe you could kind of believe that. Um, uh, Eric Zhang is a, supposedly, like, a legislative counselor. Um, Chapman Toe, he's just, like, a feng shui master. And then the kid, um, he's just a dance teacher. So... And he's young and handsome, and he doesn't really even fit because the other old guys are supposed to be students of, you know, they were all in the same class under a younger Richard M. And so he became sort of like their mentor on how to chase girls. And so now they're all old and they're trying to honor, you know, their mentor who's now old and enfeebled. How this young kid fits in that group, it just doesn't really make sense. Yeah, and they have, a, they have a metaphysical flashback where even even the teacher is in their school uniform and they're all hanging out like like boys. Yeah, it, yeah. 
Okay. Just just kind of weird, and um, there are you know there are some funny scenes, mostly involving you know Chapman Toe. But yeah, it's nothing sacred when you you've taken on the spirit of Bruce Lee, and then you're telling this guy to rape you. It's just <laughs> uh, some people are really gonna be angry. Um, um, but the rest is just kind of tired. It's not really well produced. Um, there's a scene, you know, Wong Jing plays a doctor. There's a scene where. Uh, the girl comes in and she's saying, oh, is, you know, do I have a lump in my breast? Can you, you know, examine me and takes off her clothes? You know, it's, it's, it's category two, so you shouldn't take off all her clothes. But it's a scene that's ripped right out of, of a Charlie Cho film. Uh, I want to say it's uh, Electrical Girl. And it's just like, Wang Jing, you, you know you want to make category three films. Just do it, okay? I mean you've been pushing in this direction for some time now, uh, especially with, you know, the last film, what was it, um, Marriage with a Liar? I mean, there were a number of uh, nude scenes that were cleverly concealed. I, it's just like, go for it, you know, make the next uh, 3D movie. I, I don't know what he <laughs> wants to terrific, do. He, he's a terrific producer, of, was anyway, of Category 3 movies in the 90s. He, yeah. he produced some of the best, so, so I, I mean, would love to see that. He probably directed part of those. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he probably did, and I, uh-huh. I think he needs to go back because it's obviously what he's trying to lean towards. Um, I mean, this and, is a director who, who knows of his own trash quality so well that he volunteered to have his name taken off a movie to make it respectable. <laughs> I mean, he knows how trash he uh, is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'd, for me, to rate it, I'd say you got to flee it and go back and watch <laughs> something good like The Romancing Star um, when Eric Zhang was actually of an age that he could pursue women of, of this sort. And, uh, you know, the guys weren't married, so it was it was somewhat respectable in, in that sense. And I mean, I don't want to give away too much of a spoiler, but the, the way they close out this film, it's just really nonsensical. It's... <laughs> yeah, I just I just kept waiting for for it to be like an Inception dream or something, you know, somebody was going to spin a top and it wasn't going to fall or something. But um, yeah, it's just really, really disappointing. I mean, I I set myself up because I really loved the stuff he did in the '80s, and I keep hoping that I'll go back into the cinema one day and and he'll do something of that nature of quality. But like you were saying, Kevin, I, I went to a a talk held by him, and, and I got the chance to ask him a couple questions once. He's a very smart guy, mm-hmm. and he's all about the business now. He's all about, you know, doing what he can, quickest turnaround time, lowest cost, and it makes sense that he's doing stuff for the networks rather than the cinemas, and then, you know, getting stuff out into, um, you know, show in hotels and on different different channels and probably trying to get some stuff into China, whatever he can, and on airlines, and I'm sure that's a great revenue stream for him. If he produces these things cheap enough, then he, you know, he's got more bang for his buck. Um, so he's very savvy. And, and you know, when I was asking him about his thoughts on making films in China and censorship, he was very on top of everything that he saw coming down the pipe. And so he's not, you know, he's not doing this sort of off the cuff. I would say he's he's really doing it just simply from a straight up business perspective. Yeah, he's very smart, and he's still. Let's I mean let's not forget that he bankrolled um Anhui's last three movies. He he bankrolled both Teen Shui movies and he also bankrolled All About Love. So he knows he can recognize good filmmaking when he sees it. He just doesn't do it himself. <laughs> and, and and this movie just made me mad. You know, it's not even it's not even how bad it is. It's 
I think I'm a little more attractive than, you know, Eric Zung and Jim Chim and Wan Jing. So why why are those lambos of them? Yeah. I watch them angry. I'm like, why, why am I not getting out of these action out here in Hong Kong? <laughs> well, you got to go to China first. That's the key. Ah, and meet Hong Kong girls there. <laughs> yeah. Ah. And then come back to Hong Kong. <laughs> um, so, Ken, you know, do you, what's your thoughts on Wang Jing? And do you have any favorite Wang Jing films? Uh, I do. And uh, in terms of my thoughts on him, I don't have an love and hate relationship with him throughout the ages, you know. And uh, but, but as with any prolific filmmaker and producer, the, and I mean, it's done so much. There's all there. There's always going to be dips and highs in quality. Um, I mean, go, going back as far as you know, the kung fu era of the seventies and eighties. I mean, he's the right on several classic movies. Yeah. Uh, Magnificent Butcher, Legend of a Fighter, and but, but eventually when he moved into you know the mix of broad. Probably audience-pleasing comedy uh, in movies such as you know Magic Crystal, which is a great fun movie with Andy Lau himself and Nat Chan, and great action directing by you know, when when the action director took over. <laughs> you know those movies were always fun because you could differentiate where Wong Jing starts and stops and when the action director completely takes over. So those movies were always fun to endure uh, at that time, and, and they were often funny as well. So. You know, it really comes and goes in terms of how tolerable his antics, if you will, are. Uh, Wong Jing, both behind the camera and in front of the camera. But the, the good outweighs the bad back then. And again, I'm I'm not I've not seen a lot of his own stuff, his own director's stuff during the last few years. I've seen the way we are and uh, Night and Fog that he uh, bankrolled, as, as Ken said, for uh, for Anne Hoy. But uh, in terms of new, newest movies, I, I have no desire to really because it doesn't seem doesn't seem fun. And uh, and uh, you know, despite the formula being the same, it seems like it, it just can't be replicated. And, and it's, it's a bit depressing, as you described, that he he's playing to the current climate currently with getting his movies, uh, you know, onto the networks and onto the airplanes or what have you. So it's it's kind of sad that you can't squeeze out a bit of entertainment working working the current. Uh, working the current uh, movie climate, uh, so one 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 of the ones I really really dig from from him that I will always remember as one of those movies that could have gone so wrong but went so right is Boys Are Easy. Oh yeah, as, I just watched uh, that yesterday think, with my wife. It's a funny really? film. Really? Yeah, I mean, she loved it. She'd never seen it. Really? Yeah. I mean, look at that movie. I mean, it, it has many more stars of the era than. Than we have now, of course, but man, I think it was whoever wrote the review on Love Age Kid film. I think said something akin to stars acting like loonies, and it's it's you know superb because of it. And uh, I, I will always quote one scene out of it that is you know uh, creativity on on a high level in my opinion, and it's the Triad Olympics <laughs> from Boys Are Easy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is a crazy ass lame concept, but man, is it funny. And and uh, because he executes it the way he does, that that just brings a smile and uh, and uh, eternal giddy when when talking about the fact that there's a triad Olympics. But 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 uh, uh, as a final note, uh, again I like him as a producer of category three movies back in the day. I think he chose and was behind some very creative and good movies. I mean, okay, the Rape by an Angel films, the first one, 
it's not necessarily good taste and all that, but man, is it memorable because yeah. of many, many wrong reasons, especially a, one of the best comeuppances for a bad guy in any movie. I won't spoil it, but it's very, very category free. <laughs> and uh, he's a producer on a Chinese torture chamber story and the underground bank, Ebola syndrome, Sex and the Emperor, some of the best movies, in my opinion, that came out of the 90s that, that had a little bit more effort and outrageousness that really stood out for, for good reasons, uh, even though they're disgusting as hell, some of these. But uh, uh, I got a question for you guys. I mean, do, do you get the sense, like, during the last, I don't know, five, eight, ten years or so, that Wong Jing has trouble finding audiences compared to the run he was on in the 80s, 90s? Because it seems like the box office isn't coming in anymore, or, or that is something everybody has to struggle with. Kevin, you wanna? Um, de um, definitely. I mean, the the box office for this film was was a little stronger, I think, than his. Oh, I forgot what his last film was. Um, on his Magic Secret Service, I mean, didn't do as well as um, you know, a usual Wang Jing film. But it did really well in China. Um, um, what else? This one didn't do very well. This man suddenly in love, but uh, like I said, doesn't really care because I mean, the lower his budget go, the the less the less he cares about about theatrical growth because all he cares about is ancillary. Um but you're right. I mean Wan Jing does does doesn't really have to draw anymore because I think one his humor is too excuse too older to older audience middle aged audience who kind of grew up with that kind of film uh when they were in, in their twenties and eighties. Um kids these days they don't really care for Wan Jing movies anymore. Uh, I mean I still hear some some of them laugh at theaters, and when we're not laughing, they're like they're like you know banging on chairs. You know, actually thinking it's funny. But yeah, they, they, watching movies doesn't really have to draw anymore because middle aged people don't really go to the movies anymore, and young people just they don't they don't get the history, they don't have the history, so they don't see, they don't know that watching was once funny. So when they see one bad watching movies, they just don't want to go back anymore. And I think that it, especially with the younger kids locally, um, he's been replaced by Patrick Kong. I wouldn't go as far as to be replaced by Patrick Kong. Um, well, but if you look at, I mean, when I go to the cinema and watch a Patrick Kong film, and I look at the people sitting around me, you know, it's all kids in school uniforms. But when I go watch a Wong Jing movie, you know, and who, who's in the Wong Jing movie? I mean, what was the one he did a few years ago with um, his then girlfriend? I don't know if they're still a thing. Meng Yao. Uh, Meng Yao. Uh, that was the remake. It was uh, Beauty and the Seven Beasts. Seven, yeah, 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 yeah. And, he, um, who was in that? You know, Eric Tsang, uh, Nat Chan, you know, all these Those guys. guys again. <laughs> it's, it's, it's always these, these same old guys, his generation. You know, he's, he's, you know, he doesn't seem to have the same. I mean, he'll work with people like Sean Yu or Alex Fong, um, you know, at, at times, but he doesn't seem to have that same connection, um, in terms of the writing and in terms of what he does with these people on screen that Patrick Kong does. Now, I'm not saying Patrick Kong is a better filmmaker than Wang Jing, but he's got his finger on the pulse of the, you know, the local youth in terms of what they want to see. Because, you know, when we, when I, just from what I see around me, when I go watch the films, um, you know, I notice that the young people are buying into that. And even with some of my students that I've talked to, you know, about some of the things that go on in the Patrick Kong films that, you know, um, they'll go into that. But Eric Tsang, he's the guy they watch on, you know, the super show on TVB on Sunday nights. Yeah, he's an old timer. Yeah. Um, but actually, if you look at, you also look at the stars that Wang Jing got to work with in his heyday. I mean, in the '90s, he had 
he has Stephen Chow. He, he's actually known as the only director who can stand Stephen Chow in Hong Kong. Um, <laughs> uh, you have you have Stephen Chow. You have Andy Lau. Andy Lau will apparently do any movie for Wong Jing even to today because Wong Jing was the guy who gave him a chance when he was box office poison. But today you can't get Andy Lau anymore. Andy Lau will still do his movies if he can fit it in. Um, Stephen Chow is doing his own thing now. All he has left, like you said, is Eric Zung and yes, Chrissy Chow trying to be young, trying to skew younger. But he doesn't really have the stars because back then it was always Wong Jing. His material matched with really charming stars. Yeah, I mean, go back to the romancing stars, Chow Yun Fat. I mean, you think Chow Yun Fat's gonna come back and do a Wong Jing movie? Yeah, and he's not gonna get Mandarin. <laughs> yeah, it's not gonna get Confucius too, right? <laughs> <laughs> Confucius in in Tokyo. <laughs> yeah, he's not he's not gonna be he's not gonna be able to bankroll these you know Ebola's. I'm looking at this list here, Love Shay film, and he he has he has producing credits on movie like Ebola Syndrome, Sex yeah, and yes. Zen, and and Sexy and Dangerous, Young and Dangerous. I mean, those are movies that didn't have he could do whatever the hell he wanted at that point. Because one, they made money. Two, they have big stars and. And people watch them. Right now, he he's restrained. He has no money to make to hire big stars anymore. And you know, he always had to stay within two B. And he just doesn't have the guts anymore. Even though he's really savvy, and he's just kind of constrained by the system that he helped create. It's really strange. Do you yeah. think he's uh, he has an intent, albeit sporadically, to to go into serious filmmaking himself? You know the, the likes of color, color of the truth, and color of the loyalty were n- not great films, but it showed like a side of Wong Jing that didn't want to play to 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 the cheap yeah, comedy he, there side was a, there and was a, be a trial flake at the same time. There was a period a couple years back when he was doing those films, and the rumor that I had heard was that he was really pushing for a Hong Kong Film Award, um, <laughs> and and he was really serious about trying to win something. And I don't even think he got nominated well uh, first time you look at color the truth is is inferno affairs uh moving targets uh inferno affairs with guns um and then color of the loyalty and then who those are all kind of really he would never be rid of his kind of derivative that that the um the label that he's just sort of following trends i think i think he's probably gotten into a working style in terms of the amount of time he spends in pre-production and production and post-production, that he's usually behind the curve when it comes to, you know, what's the trend in film, what's hot, what's current, and he's not setting it anymore. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. He's always following. I mean, look at um, even his last series. He does still try to do serious movies once in a while. I don't get to live and die in Mongkok. That was, you know... It wasn't a good movie, but it was one of Wong Jing's kind of more serious. But even then, it kind of felt like he was, he hopped on, he bought on, I think, Billy Chung or a younger director to to help him co-direct that movie because he couldn't pull off that, you know, the cutting edge digital look on his own. Yeah. And what, what, what was the, when that was in circulation here, the marketing was trying to push that as the Hong Kong's cult film or something like yeah, that. Yeah, so it was a wandering cult film. Yeah. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, this, this is like this is like an eighties, this is like a nineties triad movie with digital, digital yeah. video. It's just Yeah, so I mean Wanjing is no longer setting a trend. He was never he and you know Sex and the Beauty. He's always kind of been the guy that that can knows how to cash in on something. Um and as much as I welcome sometimes he does serious films quite well and sometimes he don't he doesn't. 
Um, but I, you know, I rather sit through, say, to live and die in Hong Kong, or I crop about cops. Even I crop about cops is kind of a kind of a China pandering in the end. But anyway, I would rather sit through I crop all cops again than to see him do you know, Fusion X cops where he's trying to create you know a new a new brand of Chinese sci-fi. Please just stay stay the hell away from from trending from from making new trends. Just just keep doing your bandwagoning thing. You know, Wang Jing. That's that's what I like about him. Just bandwagon without any limits. Yeah. You know, that's the problem with Man Suddenly in Love is that he bandwagon, but he kept putting these limits on himself. And he didn't. He 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 didn't go far enough. And I wish he would go back to, you know, not giving a crap. All right, it's time to move on. But uh, I'll put in a little bit of a break here because we have a our podcasting friend from Sweden. Here's a little bit of a Swedish song. <laughs> Let's move on to talk about our West screen film for this week, and that is World Invasion, also known as Battle Los Angeles, also known as Battle LA, and a bunch of other titles. Now, Kevin, you haven't seen this. No, but I, I like an alternate title of this, uh, Alien Destroys Crap. Yes. yes I like <laughs> there, there you go. <laughs> um, so this is directed by Jonathan Liebsman, who... Um, I can't, honestly, I, can't, I haven't seen any of his other uh, films. He's directed about seven. The most notable on that list being the remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, um, which I also haven't seen. The film stars Aaron Eckhart, who uh, comic book geeks will remember was Two-Face in the uh, recent uh, Batman or, or Dark Knight uh, film. Also bringing in Michelle Rodriguez uh, and... Uh, some people might recognize in a smaller role Jim Parrock from uh, True Blood and a bunch of other actors who um, I didn't really recognize, uh, not to say they aren't of note uh, per se, but so this is a film that is basically about aliens invading Earth. Uh, what more can you say? Um, it tries to take a rather realistic perspective on this as, as much as possible for a sci-fi film. Um, and it's based on this premise that uh, if you follow science news at all, um, I think it was a, earlier last year that Stephen Hawking had mentioned that if aliens did exist, I think it was Stephen Hawking, he said if aliens did exist and they came here, it would probably be a bad idea because they'd likely come here with superior technology and they'd come here as colonizers. And he says, anytime that's happened in our history, that's been a bad thing. Well, does Stephen Hawking watch Independence Day? 
for the first I, time or something? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> maybe. Uh, you know, I'm not. I, I'm not too worried about alien invasions because I have a Mac. So, <laughs> but I, Macs I, don't have viruses. Yeah, I'm ready to save the planet at any moment. Um, at there least according no to Michael Bay. This other Mac. Yeah. So yeah, Stephen Hawking speaks, and they make a movie. Now, I will say that for me, this was one of the best quote-unquote invasion movies in recent years, and we've had you know a number of them. Skyline, the most recent, um, but still, it's not without problems. Um, this is the movie that I wanted to see while I was watching Skyline. So for those of you who've seen Skyline, or you can recall back to the review we gave of it uh, a couple months back, um, that movie was really boring for the most part until towards the end, and some stuff happened. I, I think I remember saying in the review when we talked about it that you know I wanted to see more of something like this. And so this is what they gave me, and I was kind of pleased with it. Um, but it does use the a similar narrative structure to Skyline in that there's this event that is happening, soldiers are rushing to it, and then they jump back for 24 hours before this event happens, um, it, giving some character introductions. was the same exact thing that they did in Skyline. Now, if you'll remember, Skyline was created, the directors of Skyline were part of the effects studio that was in charge of doing the effects for this movie, too. Because of the similarity in narrative structure, I mean, I know there's some litigation going on between these two. I don't know how it's played out. I haven't followed up with it. But, I, you know, you could really re read into some plagiarism here in terms of uh, how the plot is structured. So uh, I, that might, I mean, it might be something I go and look up and talk about a little bit more next time if I can find out some more details. But it was really strikingly similar in the way that the film was structured and had this jump back, comes back to current events, and then moves forward. Um, a friend of mine talking about the film, nailed it. He basically said this is like Black Hawk Down meets War of the Worlds. Um, it takes, it's pretty much you're kind of embedded for the, for the most of the movie with this unit, this uh, platoon of Marines who are going in. And the aliens invade to Los Angeles and other parts of the world at the same time. And they're charged with going into this hot zone and getting some civilians out. They don't know what they're dealing with. And everything kind of goes to heck. Um, there are really too many characters because they, you know, briefly focus on all these different members of this unit with uh, Aaron Eckhart being the staff sergeant who's getting ready to retire. Uh, he feels old, you know, he can't keep up with the young recruits, this kind of an idea. So it's the old soldier and the, the, the they've got a young officer who's a, sort of a fresh grad kind of a guy, never had any battle experience. Very typical things that you've seen in other war movies in terms of characterizations. And a whole lot of a, a whole lot of oorah, right? A whole lot of um, go Marines. Um, it it kind of plays like an ad for the U.S. Marine Corps f throughout much of it. A lot of you know speeches and acts of bravery, and some battles in between. And I, it was okay for me, um, yeah, for the most part. The aliens. Um, can I just write a letter to the effects creators and say, okay, guys, can we stop with these like cephalopod? style squiddy aliens uh they gave us this in monsters they're kind of like this in independence day i mean seriously i mean there are a lot of hungry people in asia that would eat these guys <laughs> for lunch i uh, seriously including my wife i mean every time we, we go out she's buying squid on a stick and eating it and in and, and just making me want to hurl and uh but she goes to town on it um what was it we were watching a uh, doctor who and one of the one of the newer shows 
and they brought the dialects out and they opened up one of the dialect uh, cases and it was like this squid creature. And so now every time we go out and she's eating squid, she's got like a tentacle hanging out of her mouth. She'll say dialect. <laughs> so <laughs> it, I, I'd like them to move on, you know, no more close encounter aliens, uh, no more squiddy aliens, come up with something new. Um, but overall, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of mostly like a war movie, throw in some aliens, some decent special effects in places. And it doesn't really, it's basically a battle is what it is. It's one, it's one long battle. Um, it's, it's using that handheld style. It's a little bit shaky at times, not so much so uh, as, um, you know, the giant monster movie, Cloverfield, but uh, still using that same kind of uh, camera, uh, camera style for perspective. I'd say if you are somebody who loves sci-fi, if you kind of enjoyed Skyline, this would be a see it. Um, if you like war movies and you think this might be kind of interesting, interesting, you might wait and TV it. Um, otherwise, no great shakes. I can I can fill in actually the gap on the uh, the 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 similarities between Skyline and uh, what, what are we calling this now? Uh, Battle Los Angeles. Yes. What happened was that the filmmakers of Skyline, they're special effects guys. Yeah. They were actually hired to do the special effects on this movie. Yes. Battle Los Angeles, but mysteriously. Suddenly, uh, half a year before Battle of Los Angeles came out, they made this movie yeah. called Skyline. Yeah, that and and it's now it's now in litig litigation, as I understand it. Yes, yes. So what happened was that actually Battle of Los Angeles came first, and then these guys who think they're they can do like they can do on their own went off and made their own little alien movie called Skyline. Yeah, and 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 that then they had the they had the quote unquote advantage because they got it out of the gate first. Yeah. So that's what really what happened. Yeah. Or that's what supposedly happened. Sorry, allegedly, yeah. in a legal term. They're gonna have to tell it to the judge. And right. if I were the judge, I'd be probably after seeing both, I'd probably be in uh, Battle of Los Angeles's court. Uh, I, I'd probably just give up and go. You guys both make crappy movies. Can't you? <laughs> <laughs> what would be the consequence if uh, if any any verdict falls in in? in the Battle of Los Angeles' favor? I mean, uh, are we talking a uh, money settlement or...? Most likely, yeah. Right. Um, I, I don't think... I don't know if... I don't think Skyline's got a release date on video yet. It might, um, but they could... out this week, actually. Is it? Yeah. If it yeah. if it's already got a release date, they I don't think they could put a hold on it. They might... I, maybe the judge could put an injunction and it'd be recalled, but if there's already a bunch of copies out there, it's not going to matter, so... I think there's going to be a whole lot of new executive producers credits flowing around. Yeah, probably. <laughs> um, but this brings up a question that we can talk with our guests while he's here. Um, Hollywood films in Sweden and in the European Union, Union in general, uh, you know, you look at a film like this or, you know, something like Skyline or Independence Day, which are very uh, ethnocentric, you know, American films, go, go Americans. What are your thoughts on this? I mean, how are these generally received uh, in your neck of the woods? I think as with any audience, uh, we I think we, we are just looking for quality entertainment. And I don't know, w w back in the day when watching Independence Day, I mean, I, I did see it twice at cinema at the time. I, I really did like it. But we, we obviously saw that it wore its patriotic, you know, intent on its sleeve and all of that. Uh, and I hope, desperately hope, that it plays in the same corny way to its local audience as well. That, yeah, we realize it's, it's nice that the American flag is waving all of that, but they're really overdoing it. I really hope they're seeing 
what we're seeing too. But I, I wouldn't know. Maybe they think it's a very poignant, uh, poignant statement going on in Independence Day when the president was about to fly <laughs> about <laughs> with the aliens, do his famous speech. But uh, you know, we we we're all looking for quality entertainment, and, and we we don't have a disdain or dislike for you know American entertainment, if you will. Uh, so uh, I guess that's the short answer of it all. Hmm. I mean, I don't know. I I keep hoping that you know one of these one of these years we'll get a movie like this and it'll be you know it'll be china is the heroes or uh you know south korea is is the ones fighting the aliens and i know that it's it's an issue of budgeting and and hollywood has this ability to throw gross amounts of money at stuff like this um but sometimes i do th- I, I have to think that the trend that the trend of you know Oh, the Americans are saving the day yet again. Has to kind of get old in international circles, but it doesn't seem to in Hong Kong. I mean, you know, people were at the theater; it was full when I was watching this film. So, uh, I don't know. What do you think, Kevin? I think people just want bang for the buck. Um, they're not getting the type of. I mean, I mean, we've been fed in Hong Kong um, a really steady diet of special effects movies with. You know, good production quality and a uh, Western way of life. And um, if it's choosing between that and another, you know, so called so called Hong Kong movie shot in China, um, that doesn't reflect the Hong Kong people's way of life. They, I think, they would rather choose the Western Western view. Mm. It's just the way it is in Hong Kong. We always we're always looking. We are materialistic. Let's face it, and we always will look at you know. Bigger, if not special effects, then a better way of life, then a more glamorous way of life, and and so on and so forth. And none of that mainland China old fashioned old school stuff. Even though you know they're showing off right now, they're showing off their big metropolis, uh, the polish, whatever, the gold, their bling bling in Chinese movies. They still always will put that Chinese mainland Chinese movies as kind of old fashioned old school, something that's not good enough for our sensibilities. Um, so. It's just the way it is in Hong Kong. I'm not sure if this is called what you call you know cultural invasion, whatever you call it. Um, I think it's just it's just the better, lesser evil, so to speak, mm. when it comes to choosing movies to watch. And of I course, mean, there's yeah. always future X cops. Uh, now I see why people <laughs> wear watch battles, Angeles. <laughs> All right. Uh, so yeah, <clears throat> Battle Los Angeles. I think uh, we'll leave it at that. Yeah, I think that's going to wrap it up for our East and West Screen films. Um, Ken, any other thoughts or any other ideas you'd like to plug before we kind of put this puppy out to post? Well, first of all, again, I got to thank you guys for letting me come on despite... One of my sort of aliases on the podcast on Fire Network is actually Sleazy K. But, uh, <laughs> you know, you know, I can behave. I can behave. I can be on my, uh, behave my best. But, uh, again, uh, podcastonfire.com is where you'll find the five shows on the Podcast on Fire Network uh, easily accessible via buttons uh, that are Podcast on Fire is illustrated uh, with a picture of uh, Ikin Cheng, of course. Mm-hmm. Because see, it kind of is the Ikin Hour. If you if you listen to a few shows, it really turns out it turns into the Ikin Hour after a while. But uh, that's all fun. <laughs> uh, so goodreviews.com is my site, and uh, I gotta plug a little bit 
also my video review site to the side of all that. I do brief video reviews, three, four minutes long, mini commentaries on the movies I review. And that is located at sleazykvideo.com, suitably enough. Right. So um, uh, I, I got that going on and lots more coming out. So That sounds cool. Now, I mean, we're not totally prudish here. So favorite Charlie Cho movie? Oh, so many to choose from. But I, you know, he, he's rarely a lead in a movie, you know what I mean? So yeah. they're, they're always great supporting acts. But a, a non-category free movie probably is my favorite. And it's this movie called My Neighbors Are Phantoms. Mm. Again, Wong Jing, he produced it. A great, great movie. M- mix of broad comedy, you know, gross uh, horror, gory horror. And Charlie Cho in this minor cameo as a peeper, obviously. <laughs> And, and he has, uh, he's, a, he's the technically savvy people. He, he doesn't have a simple, you know, uh, pair of binoculars he looks through. He has a, a RC helicopter with a camera in it that he, uh, you know, tries to, uh, <laughs> tries to get a look at Ching Miao and company. And has this massive, P, I don't know, a massive PVC pipe acting as a telescope uh, or periscope rather. And he tries to sneakily look at women that way and it's just an insane sequence gathering all you know an easy lazy idea of Charlie Chu peeps at people and just mm. going with it then you know what that might have been Wong Jing's influence you know let's do this instead let's let's do it 10 times more better and more crazy mm. so uh, he didn't direct it but uh, his paws are all over that movie I mean Ching Miao is cast in My Neighbors, My Neighbors Are Phantoms mm. so that's probably it. the non-category free movie is my favorite Charlie Chu movie and do you have you guys um, picked up on any of the buzz regarding um, uh, what is it, Kevin? Um, what the the 3D thing? 3D sex and zen. Ah, yeah, 3D sex and zen. Oh, <laughs> I have gotten permission. I have gotten permission to state that Kozo has seen the movie. He saw he saw un, uh, Sally saw unfinished version, but he said there are many flying green things. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's something to look for. He basically yes. saw the version that they haven't done the effects yet, so like you know people are wearing yes. lots of green stuff. <laughs> yes, yeah, so there's a guy getting getting his legs cut off, except he's holding on to his green stocking leg, going, "Oh, it hurts in my leg, my legs." And there's green flying green things that he likes to know what it is when the movie comes out, but. Uh, if you if you like, kind of, um, I, I suggest you go look at the Chinese version of the Sex and Zen 3D website. You will see a category free version trailer with uh, it's a splashing water in your face. I like that. That they weren't subtle about it. I think they're gonna go for the free. I hope anyway. You know, just throw stuff at me, and uh, <laughs> you know, and and, and hopefully will hopefully they'll have a sense of fun about it as the original Sex and Zen did. So uh, I, I'm greatly looking forward to it. I promise I will hold a screen in my home. I will not have a 3D TV, but I will make it 4D. <laughs> That's I'll scary. Sprays and, and sprays and <laughs> different colored liquids. And yeah, I, I promise. Oh. Be... You know, they are the, the, so super proud of that movie. If you saw that trailer, the first one that hit, new, news clippings from all over the world, first porno in 3D, first porno in 3D. So yeah. I think they are really, really proud of what they're doing. Well, the word, the word is, is that it's going to be, it's going to do huge numbers here. Because people are going to be coming from the mainland um, to watch it, uh, because it's generated so much buzz up north, but they're not going to have it up north for obvious, you know, censorship reasons. Yeah, and so. they're opening it around uh, the May Golden Week, and actually, the producer himself, he's on Chinese Twitter, and he's and he's trying, he keeps trying to build up buzz, and he's even leading tours 
from from China down to Hong Kong during Golden Week. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be spectacular. <laughs> uh, I, I think. I'll go ahead. No, go, I, I'm, I'm not going to go to first week because everyone's going to be speaking Mandarin and, and texting on their phones and calling, going, this movie's great. <laughs> and like, I won't be able to get any peace while during my 3D Sex and Zen experience. Because, you know, Zen is very important when you watch yes. 3D Sex and Zen. Yes. Yeah. Well, we can I all look forward to that. Same, uh, I remember it was the same producer as on the original Sex and Zen, Steven Yes. Yes. So there's a connection to the classic 1991 movie. Uh, and uh, man, I, I like the sound of that. He's proud. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and when is, that, when, when is the release date for that, Kevin? April 14th. Yeah, April 14th. Soon enough. A date that will live in infamy. <laughs> or not. In my world, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think that's going to wrap things up for our show. Um, we would really like to say a big thanks to Ken for deciding to take time out of his busy, busy day to join us. Um, it's still afternoon there for you in your time zone. Um, but uh, we do really, you know, we, we are very thankful that uh, you got a chance to speak with you. And we hope, you know, maybe when uh, Sex and Zen 3D comes out, we can have you back and we can talk a little bit about, you know, Category 3 movies and uh, softcore films and some of your thoughts on that because, um, you, you know, you do do quite a bit of work on and writing on those types of genres now, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, coincidentally, at that date, thanks for mentioning that date, we are going to release our third episode in the This Week in Sleaze series that actually focuses on the original Sex and Sin. And that was always the plan to 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 ignite the web a little bit during that brief period of buzz by bringing in uh, the old movie, kind of. All right. So you can look forward to that and a lot more in April. Uh, As always, you can follow along with what we're doing on our website, www.concast.com, or you can check in with us over at iTunes. If you like the show, if you don't like the show, you can uh, throw a review over there. Uh, You can follow us on Twitter at Concast, Twitter dot com slash concast um, or if you'd like to email the show you can email us at eastscreen at gmail.com and you know if you have a question we'll talk about it on the show or you can even send us an audio file if it's short enough and we'll play it here on the show uh, Mr. Ma where can uh, the listeners find out what you're up to um, if you'd like to see if I've been assassinated by Wong Jing's Goonies yet, you can follow me on www.twitter.com slash the golden rock. That's in one word, the golden rock. You can also um, follow me once in a while on my blog on lovehkfilm.com. Um, I also write for YP Movies here in Hong Kong. We review English language movies every week. That's www.ypmovies.com.hk. This week I will be looking at Liam Neeson's Unknown. Um, also, once in a while, you can see me on yesasia.com in the Yumcha section uh, under the name Rockman. I write entertainment news items uh, with my fellow excellent editors uh, on yesasia.com. So, or you can email me directly at thegoldenrock at gmail.com. You would like to send uh, friendly messages. Um, anything mean, you can send to Paul. Yeah. Yes. I- I'm all about the mean. Yes. <laughs> all right. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, look forward to that. Um, now, our next episode, episode 60, probably won't get up until about three weeks from now because we've got this little thing happening here called the Hong Kong International Film Festival. And Mr. Ma, you're going to be basically seeing 20 movies a day, right? 
<laughs> uh, one hour, one one movie an hour. Yeah. I would say twenty four hours. That's, um, I but would, you're going to be pretty much indisposed during that period, and I'll be catching up on uh, some work and some technical stuff. And we're looking to have our next show in about three weeks. But I will be posting a few Blu-ray specials in the interim because there have been a number of uh, local Blu-ray releases uh, that we'll, that I'll talk about. So you can look forward to that. Um, and, and we'll look forward to Kevin coming back to talk all about everything he saw at the festival. <laughs> if I make it out alive. Yeah. So until next time, as always, we will wish you good viewing, and we'll see you then. See you next time, everybody, and Gambare uh, Dupont. been very jealous of of your friend Koso <laughs> as a writer because I think I, I, I wish I had that skill and wit but yeah uh, he's, never... uh, he's one of a kind even though he won't yeah. ever admit it <laughs> um... wait, I wait for that site too <laughs> what's that Kevin you're all said, great you're... I, I write for that site too <laughs> oh, we're yeah. dealing with frail 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 egos here <laughs> it's okay. I, I I'm proud to be a Kozo minion, so to speak. <laughs> I will follow his footsteps. Stu has Stu likes his young and dangerous discussions. I mean, he he's our Ekin Cheng scholar. On the show. <laughs> <laughs> Every country needs one. That's I mean, a rule. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> sorry, sorry. I'm gonna, do, I'm gonna give away that job to someone else. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Romeo freaking Juliet, man. Here's the cardigans. They're from Sweden. <laughs> what do you want, Abba? <laughs> I'd probably get a lot of internet hate mail. Um, <laughs> all right, here, here, here's here's one better. The Bieber, the, movie, the Bieber version. That's more your speed, right, Kevin? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, I, I'm totally dope. I, I'm totally up with that. You know where he bought my Bieber concert tickets? He's coming to Hong Kong. Oh, he is. Yes, he's coming. Oh my god, you actually sound excited. You actually bought the tickets. <laughs> no, of course not. <laughs> no, uh, I'm, I'm a sneak in. If it was opening for Ekin Chang, then, you know. Oh, that would be that epic. That would be the excuse. For Eken, yeah. That would be Bieber, epic. Yeah, Bieber can only open for great, someone great like Ekin. That's, that's, that's the best, that's the greatest thing you can only... Uh, I want to hear the duet of Ekin and Bieber singing the theme song for, for Bad Boys Only. Wow. Bieber can beat a girl. Yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs>